All right. Welcome everyone to another Mere Mortals Conversation. Today I have the co-founder of Rocket Shoes, which is a decentralized digital asset platform, educational technologist, and owner of a way more sensible name than myself. It's Kieran <laughs> Nolan. <laughs> Welcome, <Hi>. Kieran. <laughs> Thanks That's- for having me. Yeah, no worries, no worries. Uh, yeah, I gotta say, man, I love I love the name. It's a it's a great name, very similar to mine, but just much more sensible. You can produce it, uh, pronounce it easily. Like you see it, and you're like, ah, oh, that's a Kieran right there. <laughs> kind of, everyone spells it wrong. Oh, really? What do they so, go? Do they everything do they say it wrong, wrong as well? Uh, yeah. So if I, oh, it's actually pronounced Kieran because it's an Irish name, oh, and it's, it actually has a, what's called a fodder over the a which makes it an O, which is it's just so uh, confusing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and, and it's actually, there's no K in Gaelic. So it's with a C. <laughs> so gotcha, gotcha. Like, yeah. So nobody ever spells it right. So I'm like, write whatever you want. I don't care. I give up. <laughs> For sure. I'm, I'm pretty similar. I'm like, if you want to pronounce it like Kyrin, Kyron, Kyrant, like I'll, I'll just go with it. Just uh, go for it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, um, I first came across you uh, when you actually had Dave Jones on the IPFS podcast. I, I forgot to mention that in the bio as well. You're the host or one of the hosts of the IPFS podcast. And we'll get into that. But I really wanted to start with the education and Warana Park Primary School, which is in Dandenong. Warana. Warana. You're say it through your nose. Warana. Warana. <laughs> yeah. I'm losing yeah, yeah. my Aussie accent. Yeah. Um, do you want to just give us like a little bit of a brief history of uh, Warana and uh, and your, I guess, involvement with them? Because that'll set the scene nicely for us. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh God, eight years ago now I started at the school. So, uh, historically, I've, I've, I've kind of worked in every um, type of educational institution um, from sort of K to 12. So, like Catholic Ed um, and then sort of moving into K to 12 private. And now uh, this school's a department or a public school. Um, and they all sort of have their pros and cons, I suppose. But yeah, starting I, at, I think I'll uh, ask you a question or two about that uh, a little bit later. Sure, yeah. Um, but yeah, the uh, the starting at, at the school, um, we yeah just dived into a whole bunch of cool uh, tech stuff. So basically, like someone tweeted me actually um, that someone was like the print was looking for a, a computer geek, quote unquote. And I thought <laughs> it was just hilarious. I'm like, what is this school? I got to check it out. So went checked it out, had a meeting with him. We hit it off and um, he took me for the tour of the school. And there's like, there was no um, like traditional classrooms. It was all like open learning spaces and what they called SLPs or stimulated learning platforms, which are basically like um, for the year two unit, instead of like having kids sitting in rows and someone sort of standing at the front of the room, they've got a massive dragon boat. So like the philosophy was like, um, what if Walt Disney built a school? And that's kind of what it is. It's like this exci- exciting spaces that the kids get to interact in and, and sort of learn all this amazing stuff. And, um, yeah, hit it off with him, started at the school and um, kind of went on a bit of a BTC journey with that. So um, I think it was around 2014. Like in my previous school, I had run a thing with a group of year 10s and the um, e-learning coordinator um, that we called like a bit gigs model where the, the kids would sort of upskill themselves and get paid in Bitcoin. 
um, online because it wasn't like real money at the time. We were like, whatevs, like, you know, you can <laughs> kind of got around everything. Um, then came, came to Melbourne. So I was like, look, there's this cool like uh, currency online. Do you want to be Australia's first quote unquote Bitcoin school? And the principal being, he's 81 this year. So <laughs> I think at, at the time where he was in, in his 70s. Um, he was like, uh, yeah, sure. And then like, <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> so, so we ended up sending away to, um, there's a university in uh, London and one in Greece. Actually, both had affiliations with Andreas Antonopoulos, who's a famous podcaster and really, yeah. really cool dude. But um, he, uh, I'm assuming it was him, actually spun it up so they could send us enough um, BTC to buy some Raspberry Pis for our school, just to demonstrate that a university to a primary school could, um, yeah, like no, no, no middleman, just just buy some computers for school children, sort of thing, um, and that kind of set off the uh, <laughs> the business manager at the time. She was like, "What is this? Does the department know?" What it-? And I was just like, "Oh my god, it's thirty bucks! Like who cares?" Yeah. yeah. Um, ended up we weren't allowed to spend that money, and it ended up sort of sitting there and we had to keep <laughs> asking the department obviously going up in value and um by the time like to ray the principal's credit he kept asking the department like this is ridiculous why can't we spend this money to buy computers for school children like just because you don't understand what it is like these kids are sort of missing out you know um anyway by by the time that we got the approval um we had a philanthropist come through to the school um a guy by the name of Andrew from the, uh, the States who had been, unbeknownst to me, he'd been to 250 schools across America, sort of donating here and there. Um, and he was, you know, BTC 1.0 and um, kind of escaped just uh, just before Trump got in, I think, <laughs> and then came to, came to Australia. And I was volunteering at the Blockchain Centre at the time. Um, and someone said, go check out Kieran's school. So he did and spent the whole day even stayed like after school for a program I was running after school called Coda Dojo. Um, and yeah, by the end of that, he was like, dude, this is the best school I've ever seen. I was like, oh, thanks, man. And he's like, I want to give you 21 Bitcoins to build that learning space you were talking about out of the shipping containers. So he did. And then kind of the rest was history with that. So we built this amazing student-centric space out of that. Um, and we've done all sorts of cool stuff in between there. But that's, that's kind of an overview of uh, some of the stuff we've done at Marana. Yeah, for sure. So, so let me get this straight. The the bureaucracy actually helped you guys because it <laughs> it made you keep your Bitcoin in a way for longer than you. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, well, there was, there was that, and then actually with his donation, we weren't allowed to accept that either. So even with the, it was such strange wording. So we had we got a, a letter from them saying you can spend up to two hundred and fifty dollars worth Australian for risk of it going up in value. Wrap your head around that. <laughs> like, what? It doesn't make any sense. So what we ended up having to do, which is really cool, um, in hindsight, it was cool. At the time, we were just like frustrated. I was like, what? It doesn't make any sense. Um, but Andrew actually ended up setting up a, a fund and we got the kids to vote on the Ethereum. So kind of uh, Ethereum blockchain, like there's a, another mechanism so you can do like authenticated voting. Um, but we were like, all right, well, let's kind of flip it to our advantage. And like, you know, I'm not going to have a say. Principal's not going to have a say. School council, none of the teachers. Let's let the kids vote on how the funds are allocated. So we did. And they built these amazing spaces based on like what the what the kids wanted. So to put it 
in perspective, like the engineering shipping container that we have, which has got like Satoshi's white paper on the wall and some pretty cool computers and stuff, has Mario Game Maker for some reason. <laughs> so it's like those sort of crazy things, but like, you know, virtual reality and all sorts of cool stuff in there. But I think it was, yeah, the bureaucracy ended up being a good thing in the end. Yeah, the the one and only time in one <laughs> enjoy and only it, time. Save yeah. that moment. <laughs> uh, that's that's funny as. Um, so what? Um, so it sounded like Warana was already a, a pretty unique school in a way. I guess before you joined, like the principal was really open minded and and looking to sure. explore all these different things, and then you you jumped in. So um, it's just a, a primary school, right? So the kids are zero to well, like zero grade grade one to seven. Uh, is that uh, uh, pre- prep to six yeah prep to six okay yeah sorry yeah. it's changed since i was in a, a primary school so that <laughs> so for people listening that's probably uh like six to 12 years old something like that yep yep five five, five to yep. twelve yep yep um i wanted to really ask you about how the kids are interacting with the blockchain technologies so i've i've watched like a bunch of your videos listened to i think every thankfully you like your podcast you've only got like 10 episodes so i could smash them all out which is really nice <laughs> <That's> <laughs> so it didn't, didn't have to like binge over like you know months <laughs> it was i could just binge in a week um the that's that's just from me being lazy man. <laughs> <laughs> hey man your laziness is appreciated <laughs> um i yeah so i really want to ask like um uh, you know I really see, so I've really gotten into blockchain and the, the crypto stuff in the past six months. Although like most people, I have my own story of how I bought some, you know, back before it, it, it blew up to its current levels and et cetera, et cetera. But yeah. so, so these kids are really getting into this stuff, you know, right at the start of their, you know, when they're forming their memories, I guess. And, you know, I can't remember anything really past before four years old or anything. Are you noticing anything of how they're actually interacting with it? Like any changes with their mentality or their thought patterns or behaviors, anything like that? For sure. For sure. So I I suppose before we get in back, like get into that sort of thing, um, there's a bit of a sad story with that whole learning space as well. So we had a break in at the start of the year and, um, yeah, these guys came in and stole everything pretty much out of there. So they, they literally ripped the doors off the hinges and, um, yeah, like everything's gone. And because it's in shipping containers and not part of the school technically, like the insurance doesn't cover it. No, so the learning space is pretty much gone. And <laughs> they came back like a second night and then stole the rest of the stuff. So, so it's pretty much everything. So it was like... A, um, a computer I built with the kids. It was a full Ethereum node um, that, you know, it's not worth anything to anyone really except for us. They took that. There's actually a photo of me in the age, like with one of the kids who helped build it. They were like, you know, we built it from like old computer parts, but they came in and like, yeah, took it all. So um, off the back of that, the department's actually written up, this is where the bureaucracy is, is negative. Um, they've written a policy that not just our school, but no Victorian school now can use shipping containers as classrooms. So, yeah, problem solved. Uh, so it's pretty that, sad. That's, yeah, yeah, it that's, sucks. That's it really sucks. Um, so, like, kind of with that, the learning space is gone. So, a lot of the stuff we were doing is kind of gone as well. But I will say, like, it, they, they kind of haven't stolen what the kids have already learned in that space. So that's, that's the positive aspect, I suppose. So, with that, like, we've done all sorts of cool projects. Like, I was just saying yesterday to uh, this group in Gladstone, 
um, one of the kids actually decided to build his own um, hardware wallet. This is like a number of years ago um, in that space. We ever had a, or had a really good 3D printer um, and he yeah, found like these, uh, like a case you could 3D print online for like a Raspberry Pi Zero. Um, so ended up like ordering one of them and actually it was that was paid for with BTC as well. So it was like a, a, a refund with some credit that we had. So I'm like, oh, we got like 50 bucks. Let's use it and we'll <laughs> buy that for you. Um, so ended up like building his own hardware wallet. And then we contacted uh, Ledger. So Ledger do hardware wallets as well. And they like just altruistically like sent us a whole bunch and said like keep up the good work sort of thing. So it was like all these little cool projects. And then like, the kids got to learn how to use like a real hardware wallet off that. It's like all these cool projects sort of came out of that space, like from creating our own cryptocurrency. So we used a um, uh, Solidity. So the kids built with Solidity, but even before Solidity was a thing, we were building with um, or before we knew about Solidity. Um, there was a oh, another system built off the BTC blockchain. I forget the name of it. But you could actually spin up your own tokens. So we made it like our own Warana coin. Um, and you can like, you know, do all the, the metrics to it and how many there are. And so we did like 21 million, the same as BTC. Yep. And it was quite it was quite fun. So it was like going from that to uh, coding up our own ones with uh, on the Ethereum blockchain, which now is just unusable with the fees and everything. Um, and then we like we used Doge. So Doge before it was huge. Like that was my go-to um, for the kids using stuff, just because you could go. Um, you like it was worthless, and it's like a joke currency. Everybody loves the Doge dog. Yeah, so yeah. It was, it was, kids, it was kids like would a, love it. It's yeah, uh, and yeah, there's plenty of it to go around. It's yeah. That's right. So there was a there's a great website called Doge uh, Explorer where you could spin up wallets and. Um, quickly see like what a transaction hash is what the difference is between a public and private key and how that interacts and like send it between each other and i think that was the best until it like went up in value. <laughs> um, <laughs> i was just gonna say have you got a, like any you know eight-year-old millionaires <laughs> running probably around like and- i get i bought like a bunch and just gave it to all of them so <laughs> i hope they re- retained all the information <laughs> on how to recover that so yeah, heaps of cool projects. And we've actually, and off the back of that, so like what we were looking at doing was, it was it was difficult initially with uh, with Andrew coming up. Like we actually wanted to do like sort of didactic, um, like teacher, teacher-driven teacher like classes or courses or a curriculum um, around blockchain tech. But that's not really the philosophy of the school. So we're kind of going back and forth on like, how do we make it student centric without, you know, saying you have to do this at, at by this time, by the, like anytime you do that, it doesn't sort of work with the kids. I find anyway. Um, so we try to like sort of use the tech as much as possible to facilitate what they're interested in. Um, so we do these things called, uh, actually, I think they've stopped this year, but historically we've done these things called Enigma missions where the kids embark on like a journey for up to three years um, on their passion project. So um, they've done everything from, you know, feeding homeless people to uh, GMO foods to um, the problems with Einstein's equation, like crazy stuff. Um, And trying to sort of interject the the technology into that to see if it it, it can sort of fit, Um, which I think is much better for the learning because you get more excited about what you're doing. And, yeah, they kind of take ownership over it as opposed to 
you know, saying you have to do this sort of thing. And it was the same, like we started a, a, um, a Cisco class, like when I started at the school. So Cisco is like the, um, basically the whole internet runs on Cisco hardware, but you do like Cisco certifications at a tertiary level. So I got my CCMP from Swinburne University. Um, but we ended up going through like the CCNA with uh, one of the kids at school who, who had or has a really high IQ. Um, I think that was in the age as well. They did another uh, piece on that. But um, basically his mom was just like, is there anything he can do like at a sort of tertiary level, not at a high school level? Cause he's already sort of done everything. And I'm like, ah, why don't we try some Cisco? Um, so he did, got the books, was going through the material, building our own networks, and then just organically, like all his friends wanted to start doing it. So he ended up setting up a Cisco class, but because the kids wanted to do it, not because you had to do it, if, yeah, if you get what yeah. I mean. So I think that, and that's kind of the philosophy or has been across the whole school for, for years. Um, and I think it's it, that's hard to replicate because it was really well thought out from um, students taking ownership of their learning from prep right through. Um, and like a lot of the, a lot of schools will try to implement that, like at, you know, year seven upwards and the kids have already sort of indoctrinated into, into waiting for instructions for stuff. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, so yeah. I was going to ask, I guess, uh, like, do you feel that their understanding of it is, is, is deep enough for, for what they're playing with? Like, cause I, I suppose what I'm saying is, uh, you know, for me, the past six months has been almost excruciating in a way of like really trying to be able to, you know, get enough understanding of like how Bitcoin works to be able to trust it, especially with with like some serious sums of money and whatnot. Um, yep. You know, with with kids, I guess you know they don't have the the whole money stuff. They're, they're just playing around with Doge. Even if you try to tell them it's it's worth something, you know, it's it's probably like oh, it's a fun token. It's not really. They don't have all the associations like money can do this, money can, you know, you get paid in money, et cetera, et cetera. So I was just wondering, like, how, how deep do you think is their understanding of, of the actual tech behind it? Is it is it better than adults, for example, who are trying to learn yes. it as well? So, and I think the monetary aspect is better than adults as well. So I think it's trying to explain blockchain tech to sort of anyone our age and older is near impossible just because we already have these mindsets about like what money is how it works where it comes from kids don't have any of that so kind of like you say like it it doesn't matter like they they don't have that sort of fear or that 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 centralized um the centralized thought patterns of like how things should work um it's uh, it's it's infinitely easier but I, I will say like i think it's not every student would be interested. Not every student would have a a deep understanding of like what blockchain is or uh, the or or the technology behind BTC or any of these cryptos. Um, but some of them do, and there's so many different aspects to it. So, like for example, we had uh, one student. So we actually built a game with a, some developers in Sydney um, a number of years ago that teaches you how to mine Bitcoin. Um, because you can't do it like at school sort of thing. So there's so many different aspects. There's like, you know, running a node, mining, transactions, users, like all these different elements to to a to the BTC blockchain and, and other blockchains as well. Um, where you like to have a, a deep understanding of just one aspect of like mining is quite difficult. But there's one student who was so persistent that we were kind of just learning about it at school. 
and then he was going home and mining Ethereum with his dad based on what he did at school because we couldn't do it at school sort of thing. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting. So I think there's there, it's such a such a, a broad subject that there's aspects for everybody, um, and nobody's sort of left out if they're interested. But like, mm. I mean, that that's not going to be the same for every school. So, so uh, like most schools will have you know one thing that everybody has to do at once. Our school doesn't have that. So it's like you know there's some students interested in robotics. Some are not, but they get, kind of get to choose what they want to do, uh, or environmental studies. That's another aspect, or chess. Or so it's it's very different to most schools, but I think that it's better um, for the kids. Yeah, well, it's encouraging to see that they're they're forming that uh, that interest without having to, <laughs> you know, force it on them. Which I, I imagine yeah. is so. Like I, let's see, I was going through school. I, I graduated in two thousand and nine, and so. I didn't really have the internet forced upon me, but we weren't also using it that much. Like, um, I think you said you were in a school where you were trying to go paperless in 2008, was it? Which is like, that's insane. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to... <laughs> we I'm we did. Yeah. <laughs> we went totally paperless. Good. Yeah. Oh, man, you've done your research. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. No, I've, I've been listening a bit. I've been listening a bit. And um, <laughs> like, I'm, I'm just thinking, you know, how, how cool would that be just... Uh, having this this next generation of kids and you know i suppose like it'll be older though it'll take a while till they're you know i guess in the the age where they can start you know making decisions with what they want to do with regards to their life in terms of a job or career or you know where they want to spend their time and whatnot but super encouraging that they're they're just getting into it like they're and and as you said not everyone needs to know how blockchain stuff works. Like I, I barely know how the internet works and yet I use it every single day. That's so. right. Exactly right. So it's like the, the kids who are building their own networks. Um, I had such a cool story with that as well. So like the, the um, student who was building that initially, like and got all those friends involved with building these computer networks, we were kind of doing it um, virtually first through something called Packet Tracer. And then they wanted to like build it in the real world. So we actually I gave them like an old server to set up like DCHP and uh, like DNS and um, gave them a switch and uh, some wireless access points to get everything sort of connected. Uh, the only thing they were missing was like a router and we didn't have a Sperry for them, like a Cisco router. Um, so they ended up like asking the print, they're like, look, we haven't got the money, the funds for, to buy that now, maybe sort of down the track. They were so persistent that it was, it was hilarious. Just coincidentally, I had a, a family friend who had like one of those crypto locker viruses on the computer. And um, he called me up, I'm like, dude, I got no time. I'm sorry. But I've, if you want, I've got a group of smart kids who might be able to get it back for you. So it's literally a group of like 11 year olds. So he brought it down to the school. They got his data back for him. They got paid. They bought the router <laughs> and then built the rest of the network. I'm <laughs> like, awesome. if, if I, yeah, it was so cool. I was like, if I had said, you guys have to go and build a network now, like it would have never happened. It was just because they're excited to do it. I was like, here's the opportunity, sort of go for it. But it's it's fascinating. Like that, that sort of learning. This is what I was talking about with the Gladstone guys yesterday. Um it's so key because they're looking at running a, a Coda dojo. Um, so the same as like we were running at school, but it's so fascinating to see like the difference between like the, like the philosophy for say our school at Rana, and then like these private schools that were coming, coming along. 
So we had like Wesley, which is one of the big ones. We had ki- like people coming from like two hours away because there was no other Coda Dojo at the time, and I was running it on the weekends. Um, Coda Dojo is just a way for kids to to learn code, right? It's a so it's uh, so it's like a, a communities that people do uh, like uh, volunteers sort of run. So I was running it on a weekend uh, with the guys from the Royal Society in the city. Um, but they didn't have any space for it, so we ended up just running it at our school sort of thing. Uh, but it was started out of um, Ireland, and they've, they've spread all over the world, but it was not in Victoria, so we're like, all right, well, we'll just do it at our school. Um, but it's basically learning how to code. or We, we kind of just made it open, like whatever the kids wanted to do. But it was fascinating to see the, the kids from the, the private schools coming along who are literally sitting on their hands waiting for instructions the whole time, like, dudes, what do you want to do? We can do anything you want. They couldn't couldn't do it. And it was, it was really, it was an eye-opener for me of just how important the philosophy of learning is versus, like, you know, the actual curriculum to stuff. Like, the, the detriment it does to kids to not have that instilled from a young age and, like, the, the passion for learning stuff, it's, it's just so important. Yeah, anyway, I'm probably getting way off topic. <laughs> no, man, man, let's let's keep going down this route. So, um, both my parents were um, high school teachers, and I was telling my dad about this this BT school, BTC school, like the school on the blockchain sort of thing, and um, just just sort of like relaying some info. And um, I was saying, you know, I I thought it was kind of crazy that you were doing all of this really fascinating. Like, uh, it's unbelievable that you're not like the school isn't being promoted more as like a shining example of, of just the cool shit that's out there. Um, and I, I was just saying, like, I, I thought it was fascinating that it was, you were doing this in a public school. Cause I thought it would be way harder in a public, whereas in a private, I don't know, just the perception for me was it's a private school. They've got sort of their own funds so they can do what they want. But, but my dad was saying, having worked in the public sector for, I don't know, 30 plus years, he was saying, no, 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 it's, it's the opposite way. You can, you can, you get a lot more leeway with the public schools than you do with the private. Um, and I was just wondering like, what, what would be the reason for that? Cause it sounds the same that, that you've, um, you've noticed. <laughs> I did think that um, up until sort of this year. So yeah, <laughs> it's, it's interesting. Um, the, so the, the principals um, retired now as of this year. And I think it's all to his credit all that so he was basically wasn't afraid to tell the department to get stuff yeah <laughs> that's, gotcha. that's kind of how it works and it was kind of the same with the the paperless school i was talking about like we had a um really cool print she was awesome um sort of the same thing with the dices like she wasn't afraid to say no we're doing this it's important so it's about leadership i think um once that's gone it's it's really hard to sort of get it back and i think having the uh, obviously, a community is really important as well, but having someone who's really driven with a, a vision or a raison d'etre, as they call it, or a reason for being, um, I think is really important. So, yeah, I don't, I don't think it matters, like, what system you're in. There's always detractors, like I said before, like with the uh, private schools. It sounds like you could kind of do more, but the school council and the parents kind of want the same education they had because they're all, like, lawyers and doctors and whatever, they want the same education from 50 years ago. They don't understand that that world's gone now. You know what I mean? So it's mm. kind of the each, each one, whether it's the diocese or Department of Ed or, you know, um, parents and school council, they they all can sort of take away from, with, and probably without realising, like thinking they're doing the right thing, but taking away from students' um, 
engagement and learning and it just takes yeah someone with a, a vision to to sort of uh cut through that i think and i think like the what we're um working on at the moment so i had one of the students um from last year actually we're building in um something called uh a frame so a frames are uh basically vr for the web um really cool stuff if you haven't checked it out definitely check it out but um, Mozilla Hubs has built out a whole SDK on top of that. So you can build these amazing spaces. Um, what's and, an SDK? Um, software development. Uh, software development kit. Okay. Um, so basically it just makes it easy to use. So that was a funny story actually, um, just as a side note with, uh, with that, we were building like these, what I thought were amazing spaces, like just from code. Uh, so, for example, like a VR space with just like a spinning rocket and that's it sort of thing. Took us days to get that going. I'm like, oh, this is amazing. Caught up with the um, director of Immersive Ed over in America. I was like so proud showing him. And he was like, uh, yeah, that's awesome. Have you seen what a Mozilla have built on top of that? So, like he was contacting me to tell me just coincidentally. I'm like, oh, my God, this is next level. So, like basically what you can do in these spaces is like what we're doing now, but in VR and everything else you can possibly imagine. But one of the kids who was actually working on that is now working with um, the Future Schools Alliance to build a virtual school. And I think that maybe down the track might sort of get rid of all the bureaucracy and all the nonsense that we uh, kind of come up against with the, the physical spaces. So I think that's that's going to be something to, to sort of look forward to. Um, and, like, I've been waiting so long for the tech to kind of get there, and now it's here. So, like, you don't need a high-end VR headset. You can have one, but it means you can interact with someone on a cheap Chromebook or a phone or whatever, and it's equitable for everyone. Uh, we haven't had that up until now, so... A-Frame and Mozilla Hubs. Check it out. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. We'll do. Um, what, what's the, well, like the craziest idea I guess one of the kids has had uh, regarding how to use blockchain and, and crypto or anything like that? Have they, have they said Crazy anything? That's, yeah, like just anything that's so out of the box where you're like, I, I would have never thought of that in, in a million years. Yes, actually. So we had a just a discussion on it like this is years ago. Um, so tough like, and so topical now, but I was actually talking about using um, blockchain tech to authenticate vaccines. So this is like before, mm, yeah, way before any COVID, of this yeah. stuff. <laughs> um, but to, so like the the whole, you know, remember years ago there was that whole debate on like autism and um, vaccines and whether it contributes or not. So it was one of the kids. It was actually one of the kids at Coda Dojo, like really smart kid. Um, not from our school, he's from a different school, but yeah, super switched on. And he was like, well, if it authenticates all the ingredients like along the line, can't we use that to authenticate like each vaccine that goes into someone and then test it? I'm like, that's so brilliant. The, Absolutely yeah, so brilliant. it's like talking on the compound level, right? So, you know, it's yeah, got these, yeah. these compounds in it, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, and I was like, that is such a cool idea. So maybe we should be doing that now. <laughs> <laughs> couldn't, couldn't hurt, hey. <laughs> uh, that's, yeah, that's super cool. That's super cool. Um, it's, it's always funny, like you're hearing like random podcasts or something and they'll, they'll talk about something like vaccine related or whatnot, obviously before COVID and you're just like, man, that's so prescient. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, so, yeah, it's so it's weird. So prescient. It's, I, I hadn't thought about that till, till just now, but like, yeah, that, that so, so, um, 
such foresight to be thinking like that. Yeah. Have you noticed any, um, I don't know, negatives, I guess, with, with kids interacting with the, with the blockchain so much? Is there anything they're really struggling with which, um, uh, <sighs> in terms of like understanding it or even potentially using it in negative ways? Um, just, you know, kids being kids, there's, there's bullying and stuff like that. <laughs> Has bullying moved onto the blockchain well, tech, or anything? Tech, uh, no, I wouldn't say on the blockchain. No, I haven't <laughs> really had any negative experiences with blockchain tech or any Web3 stuff but technology in general for sure i think that's that's probably across any school so you know kids doing the wrong thing bullying online um and even just security and that sort of thing like and and not not thinking things through but there's a big push i think for institutions and schools in particular to kind of look at that and go oh technology bad stop like you block everything you can't do anything as opposed to using it as a tool for learning, right? So it's like you have these schools where you have unlimited access to the internet um, or, sorry, blocked access to the internet, and then they're going home to unlimited access. They've never learned how to use it properly in the place where you're meant to be learning things. Like it really irks me. Like it's ridiculous. And you'll see like um, a lot of schools, techs in particular, like pride themselves on no one being able to get access to anything. It's like, well, great. This is the place where you're meant to be learning that, like, to begin with. Like, what's the point? So I think that needs to change, and I think it is. I think it's shifting, but it's, it's, um, yeah, that sort of fear-based um, approach to not just that and not, not just the connectivity, but even just, like, you know, screen time. I've noticed that a lot. So it's like teachers will be um, scared of the kids being in front of the screen for too long or whatever. Uh, it's like, well... You know, I remember I was on I was on a show in in uh, in Sydney. God, what was the name of it? What's the show where the the woman stands in the middle and kind of fires questions to the audience? Um, oh, yeah, I don't watch much TV. Whatever. Anymore. Yeah. Nah, neither. <laughs> Hence, I didn't know the name. Anyway, we got invited with the kids to go up to that thing, and uh, one of the <laughs> one of the women at the front, she was like. Um, you know, year three teacher, and she's like, oh, kids are distracted, distracted all day. <laughs> I go, you know, you can replace the word distracted with engaged. <laughs> she didn't like that at all. Yeah, yeah. But it's true, right? Like, it's just they're engaged, so why not use that to, you know, help them to learn something? Yeah, and you're insane if you don't think the kids are going to get past this. So I know you were talking about how you were making proxies back in the day when you were, <laughs> when you were in um, school and... <laughs> Uh, yeah, same here, like proxies, people were going around, you know, selling them or distributing them across playing Doom or Quake or whatever it was. And yeah, like kids will find a way. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's the bomb. Yeah, actually, yeah, we ended up hacking our school server in uh, in high school and setting up a Quake server. So, okay, that's why I got interested in tech. I was like, wasn't through any curriculum i tell you that much right now yeah, <laughs> yeah just through that so like i became an admin for like 60 kids getting connected to this server <laughs> and so like i just like by like i just was forced to learn like what's an ip address what's a subnet like, and that's that's like i got interested in math as well like i hated math before that i'm like oh my god it actually has a purpose for yeah something. I, I can use this thing yeah for sure yeah that's that's super cool, man. Um, I wanted to just uh, before moving on from the the schools, just ask about some of the the challenges. I think I heard you were saying somewhere that one of the hardest bits about COVID, which is 
it's funny because like you're, you're such a tech heavy school that you'd think that you'd be like most suited for it. But you were saying it was the actual hardware, like kids didn't have access to the hardware. So even though yeah. you, they, they know how to use so much stuff from, from school when they're, you know, restricted or locked down at home, they, they yep. physically didn't have what they needed to actually be able to use their skills, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was yeah, probably the first lockdown. So we ended up getting a whole bunch of computers um, donated and, yeah, we had an abundance by uh, the third lockdown. God, I've, I've lost count. I think we're in lockdown eight or something now. Um, but, yeah, the first one was, it, yeah, it was like we were so set up for it and the kids were so good to go with things like Minecraft and, like, um, yeah, Google Classroom and setting up all these systems online for them to connect with. But some families didn't even have an internet connection. So <laughs> it makes it real difficult. So, um, yeah, in, in hindsight, if you could go back and just set up from the beginning and give everyone stuff to begin with, like, that would have been awesome. But, yeah, it's kind of sad. Like, I think – well, I think I think that's the positive that's come out of this. Like, one is the, the digital literacy that everyone's been forced um, you know, to sort of achieve. And two is like getting students devices that may not have had them in the past. So I think it hasn't all been negative. I think there's been a lot of cool stuff that come out of it as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, man, I was almost cheering in a way because, well, I mean, it helps that my life wasn't really affected much. Like I already sort of podcast from home. Uh, I don't like big crowds and sporting events. So COVID didn't really hit me hard, but um, I was I was sort of cheering in the way where it was like you know you hear stuff about like the smog over um, uh, Santiago and Chile you can see from the um, Cerro San Cristobal which is like the big mountain right next to the city you go up there and you could actually see out over the city because you know no one's driving anywhere and stuff like that ah. the, the amount of commute time uh, was just drastically cut all over the world. And I, I can only think that's like a huge benefit to people's like yeah. mental health. As bad as COVID is, like maybe the mental health of not being stuck in a car and on the highway and peak hour traffic is, is maybe just as good. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, all sorts of things. Um, what's, what's just been um, some of the public perception as well of, of the, you know, kids getting so involved with, with blockchain, like stuff that the parents don't even understand. I mean, I guess this has happened when the internet was happening as well. There's, you know, yeah. kids getting access to computers and email and internet before their parents did. But I sort of see like the whole blockchain and web 3.0 is, is very similar to the internet and just how massively it's going to change the world. Uh, what, what sort of has been some of the, the parents' reactions to the the kids mostly positive mostly positive across the board i think um even outside the school it's been been very positive i think the but (laughs) funnily enough like the blockchain stuff i think because we kind of it's not like it's not really monetary based as such it's like looking at the technology of it yeah um and like you know building things out in like solidity or or whatever like actually there's a really really cool um website if you want to learn solidity called um crypto zombies worth doing it's fun and you're like coding out your own own zombie sort of thing um i need to learn some but- python first man i have no coding <laughs> <laughs> well no solidity is way easier so oh, i reckon oh, okay yeah, yeah yeah it's it's cool and it's so it's basically the the language underneath ethereum so you can spin up your own tokens and, and do all sorts of cool stuff with that um and a lot of it's on testnet so it doesn't matter like yeah you, you yeah. can't stuff anything up and there's no 
uh, monetary aspect to it. I will say, like, the, <laughs> funnily enough, the, the the craziest response I've had from a parent for any tech stuff we've done at the school, believe it or not, was from Minecraft, like when I introduced it at school first. <laughs> 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 so strange. So, like, my previous school, we were running Minecraft, like, you know, every lunch, let's have at it, had kids actually running the server, and it was, it was amazing. Um, so, when I started at, at this school, I was like, oh, well, yeah, let's do that immediately. Like, let's get it get it rocking. So, like, built a box, um, had, it, had it all up and running. And I think it was about three weeks in because we I was just doing it, like, at, you know, lunch times and recess and that sort of thing to begin with. And then it kind of spread across the school and has been used for everything. Uh, but it was kind of early days, I suppose, before, like, it was still kind of looked at as, like, a game. Um and people sort of conflate like shoot you in the face game with a you know create whatever you want game sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. But we had this parent coming <laughs> to the principal's office, and she started screaming at the principal, saying that she read somewhere that Minecraft is about murdering babies. <laughs> <laughs> so, so instead, instead of her doing a 30 second Google search, she thought she'd run in and start. I was just like, wow, yeah. oh, amazing. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and Minecraft is so good. Hey, it's like that's I'm, I'm not a, a creative person, but in there, it's it's just like it's just you're limited to time, how much time you can can spend creating yeah. or constructing something because so it's yeah so much fun totally totally well we, we had well, actually i think it's ended this year but we've had a um historically a 24 7 um server so i think it was us over the years we've had about 30 or so schools connected to it all over the world like japan um we've had new zealand 24 7 um but the 24 7 aspect is the fact that they're in different countries so they can come and build then you see it when you're sort of in. And that actually that got misconstrued as well as to people thinking, what, you have the kids on the computers for 24-7? <laughs> it's like, no, it's available. Yeah, you're whipping them. Time. Build, yeah. build my castle, <laughs> damn it. Yeah. Yeah, perception's strange. But, um, yeah, I love Minecraft. I think it's it's awesome. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, I, I think we'll uh, we'll jump on to um, rocket shoes and a little bit of IPFS if you if you're keen. Yeah, um, for sure. Can you rocket shoes ties in pretty well with the education stuff, so we might just start there. Do you want to just um, give me the the brief little spiel of that as well? So yeah, the knows. so so basically, uh, rocket shoes is akin to a learning management system, but not a learning management system. So a learning management system is something like uh, Canvas or uh, Google Classroom, which we use at school, where you basically put on um, work for students to do and then they do that and then they have all their stuff sort of sitting on this server somewhere. Works pretty well. Um, the only issue is when you're moving either between institutions, between schools or up into higher ed uh, or, you know, from primary school to high school, all that data is sitting on a server somewhere belong to somebody else. So say you've come along, you've done a whole bunch of great work in primary school on blockchain tech and they've written it all up and it's sitting on Google Classroom. You go to your high school and they're using Moodle. How do you bring all that stuff with you? At the moment, it's really hard. So basically, you just have to hope and pray that there's a nice person at the school that will zip all that stuff up, export it, give it to you, and then you can you know, go on your way. Um, but, you know, what if you go to five different schools or, you know, you go to from 
uh, high school into university and then into um, a corporate, like corporate uses a lot of LMSs as well. Um, so what we've built is, or building, should I say, still building, um, is a tool that talks to LMSs and pulls all that stuff into a learning wallet on the back end into something called IPFS, which stands for the Interplanetary File System, um, which is my favorite acronym of all time. Um, but basically what that does is give the student complete ownership over their stuff without having to rely on a third party or an institution to allow them to have that, um, which in the long term, I think is going to be more and more important. Like if you look at all the stuff uh, in Europe with the GDPR stuff um, and actually even what's happening here with the uh, anti-encryption bills and stuff, it's going to be more and more relevant for people to be able to own their own data. And that's just one of the tools to do it. And I think starting with students is, is kind of the way to go. Yeah, yeah. So um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I sort of saw Rocket Shoes as a way like, uh, are you providing a, a sort of just a system so people can, uh, so kids, I guess, and or like schools can say like, all right, you upload your assignment onto, you know, this this platform here. And this is, it's going to be able to, you'll be able to access this no matter if you're, a, you know, travel to Japan or you go to Korea, as long as you've got an internet connection, you'll be able to get back these yep. documents which uh, currently sit on you know Amazon servers somewhere or um, yeah etc cetera, etc cetera. 100% right yep yeah yep. Okay, cool. that's it yeah um so i, I suppose like uh, it's, it's kind of funny cuz when i first heard of it i was my initial reaction was like man that seems unnecessary like why do kids why why would anyone need like their their data back from primary school or high school you know me just thinking of myself i was like uh uh Actually, you know what? It, it would be kind of useful actually having some of those things. Like I thankfully still have stuff from primary school, which my, my dad kept and it's in this huge filing cabinet at home. Me and my brother have just tons of stuff in there. You know, yep. if, if when there's more paperless schools as there should be hopefully now, uh, 13 years on from when you were first trying <laughs> yeah. it, <laughs> um, obviously there's going to be needed because, yeah, say you move country, like how are you going to get that back? It's, it's hard enough getting stuff when you're physically living next to the school from, from, you know, parents and teachers and, and things like that versus That's right. across the whole world. So yeah, I can exactly. totally see how that, that can be super useful as well. Um, yep. have, have you had much adoption of, of what you're trying to do? So we, had, we had three trials. It's actually interesting, like talking to, people uh, for traditional funding versus people in the blockchain space, like everyone in the blockchain space kind of gets it uh, in terms of like the data aspect. They're like, oh yeah, of course. Like you want everyone to be able to own their own data. ADU is kind of like what you said, like why would people care about the data? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Such a, such a strange dynamic. Um, but yeah, with that, so we've had um, a number of trials, obviously a trial at my school and um, some universities as well. Um but ours was funded initially with a DAO, so it's a decentralized autonomous organization that um, in 20, end of 2017 or 2018, when the markets tanked, basically pulled out the funds for our development. Um, so then we had to start sort of going traditional route, um, which we got. And then COVID hit and they pulled the plug on like all these traditional or all these uh, 
funds that they were sort of doing for this for this grant. Um, so we're kind of in limbo a little bit still with that, just in terms of funding and blockchain and Web three dev is just so expensive. It's crazy, like it's because uh, it's so intricate as well. It's it's more so than just building an app. It's like funny. I was talking to like one of my friends about it, and he's like, "Oh, don't you just like build it and then it's." like up on the phone or whatever. <laughs> like, no, <nah>, man, <laughs> it's years of work goes into it on the back end. So yeah, we're kind of still uh, looking for funding to, to finish it out. So we've finished three milestones. We've got uh, two to go. Um, and yeah, that's kind of where we're at. Yeah. Okay, cool, cool. All right. Well, um, we'll, we'll move on to IPFS, I guess, as well, because this is sort of uh, me satisfying my curiosity because, well, so the I, Kieran from the IPFS podcast, if he doesn't know, who, who does? Um, <laughs> I guess, like, what is IPFS in a way and um, how is it being used at the moment? So, in particular, I know I've heard Netflix is using IPFS, but I could, from, like, a couple of minutes of research, I, I couldn't find something easily explaining, like, what they were doing. So, maybe just Why what is IPFS and then how how is Netflix using it? Yeah, oh, it's... Um- to, to kick off, though, I'm probably not the world's biggest IPFS expert. The reason, like the funny, funny story, like the, the reason I started the podcast, IPFS podcast, was I was literally walking on the beach, like looking for an IPFS podcast. I'm like, yeah, sick of listening yeah. to like Bitcoin and everything. I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to start it and then I can learn more. <laughs> it's like an excuse to uh, talk to developers and stuff. But I think the tech's awesome. And uh, I, re- I think it's, it's, really going to revolutionize the way um, we use the internet and probably like with other protocols as well. I think it's like, doesn't, doesn't stand um, on its own. I think it, it, it kind of works as a group with um, web three. So like if you, you look at like um, what's happening with the handshake blockchain at the moment where you can actually get decentralized DNS talking to IPFS, I think you're going to see a lot more of interoperable things like that. Um, coming out but going back to the netflix thing from what i understand with what they're doing is basically caching so using ipfs to um, cache the video so what that does is basically say you have a network of computers and you have them all sort of watching whatever like squid games or whatever it is the his like the legacy method of doing that is what youtube still kind of does is where Every, it's like a hub and spoke, so everyone's sort of hitting that that one video. And if when you have a lot of people doing that at once, it slows right down because there's too many people, like the pipes aren't big enough to get the data out, right? So it actually creates petabytes of data from watching that one clip, people pulling it out over and over and over again. So what IPFS does is breaks up the file into little pieces, spreads it onto the network, um, so nodes in the network, which can be anything from like your computer, to um, I think in Australia they use the Optus network for uh, for um, Netflix. So you have like um, nodes in the Optus network. So if you notice, if you have an Optus mobile, you get Netflix for free on your phone. Not not free subscription, but it doesn't count towards your data because it's all sitting there already. Oh, okay, gotcha. So it's like so it's kind of like torrents. So if you ever torrented a file before. Um, legally or illegally mostly um, legally, it, mostly legally. <laughs> it bre- yeah it breaks up the file into little pieces and then reconstructs them for you to watch but 
IPFS does that in real time with these hashes, these unique hashes. And what what's cool about that is obviously like the speed's much quicker, um, and you can you know um, collect those files up and then see them um, on on your end as quickly as possible. So it finds them like from all over the net and goes, all right, here 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 here, boom, here you go. Um, but there's also the ownership side of stuff as well. So the the unique hash. Um, which is like the series of numbers and letters that that identify something. So it could be a photo of us, or it could be this video, or whatever. Um, but that has a unique identifier that is always this. So you can't change it; it's always the same. So that's why it talks to blockchain tech so nicely. They kind of knit together. So it's like this unique identifier, this blockchain is this transaction, and you can do some really cool stuff with that. So that's kind of the other aspect we're doing with with Rocket Shoes as well. Yeah. Yep. Um, Hopefully that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it makes sense for me because I've spent like a bit of time doing it. So for the, for those who are <laughs> listening and, and still struggling, well, listen to the IPFS podcast. You'll you'll, <laughs> uh, you'll get a bit more. Um, I'll do my best. <laughs> yeah, uh, with the so you mentioned just um, torrenting there. So what would be the I guess main difference? So I've heard it's something related to torrenting was really good for videos. So you know that sparsing, breaking it up putting it in different little locations and you don't have to download. I'm, I'm, I think other people might've experienced this. Like you download a full file, you're at like 95% of the way through and then your internet connection cuts out or something. And then you can't just restart downloading that, that file again from where it cut out. You have to re- yep. re-download the whole file. Whereas IPFS is with, with that method, if your internet cuts out halfway through, it's like, okay, you'll just go back to the last like that last little bit that got cut out and then you can can keep going from there. Um, 100%. It, even cooler than that, what you can do, and this is something I want to do eventually with um, Rocket Shoes and like a rural school or something, um, is even if you don't have a persistent internet connection. So, so what you're talking about there is reliance on persistent internet, which we all are now all the time, right? So if it goes down, everything sort of stops. With IPFS, you can actually run nodes um, in your network and between networks. So as soon as there is a connection, they all sync up and you can get your data um, off the nodes locally and even internationally, wherever it happens to be. But that's it, it fixes so many things of what's broken with the internet. And I think that's one of the key things, like persistence um, with internet connectivity. Um, so like a part of it's actually built to deal with latency between us and the moon and eventually us in Mars. And how do you, how do you deal with that with the HTTP? Like it just, it doesn't work, right? IPFS will work with that because it, it syncs when there's a, when there's a, a link. Yeah. Hence, hence the name internet interplanetary file system. You <laughs> so, you know, if there are people on Mars, they're not going to have data centers in California, which are, you know, right. take up, I don't know how big they are, football field sized, I imagine. Yeah. Um, yeah. They're not going to have that on there on, on Mars. So how are they going to get the internet, which obviously they're, they're going to need um, when they're up there. So yeah, um, exactly. very, very cool. Um, what what was the, the difference, I guess, uh, between torrenting and IPFS as well? So um, it's IPFS or, because I, I just remember hearing somewhere saying torrenting is really good for, for videos, but it might not be as applicable for, you know, smaller audio files or, you know, long PDFs or things like that. Um, is, um, is there a yeah, difference yeah. between those? 
I think that it comes down to um, the unique identifier I was talking about. So, I mean, there's other aspects as well, but I think that's probably the main um, difference between the two. So you have that identifier for whatever it is. So whether it's a PDF, whether it's a video, where it's an audio clip, having that identifier means it can't be broken ever. So like, you know, when you go to, on a website and there's like a 404 error, this doesn't exist anymore because someone deleted the page. You can't have that with unique identifiers and the way the network works. You can have stuff deleted. So there is still the right for your stuff to be deleted, which took me a long time to understand. When I learned about it in like 2016, I'm like, oh, awesome. It's Because what do they refer to in the white paper? It's um, the permanent web, permanent web, permanent web. Yeah. But it's not permanent. It's persistent. So you still have the right to delete your own stuff, but it's you that has that right, not a third party. And that's the difference. So like with a torrent, it's, yeah, great for sharing files or whatever, but it hasn't got that that aspect of, of hashing um, data to unique identifier. And I think that's what's so exciting about it. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, this was a question I had, which was like, it's the right to be forgotten. It's persistent, not permanent. So yes, um, uh, I actually had a chat with a, a podcaster here in Brisbane who runs a business where he basically helps get stuff deleted from the internet which i thought is absolutely hilarious it's like he's on the he's on like the the side of like less content which was was funny um and in particular usually stuff like revenge porn so this will be someone releasing you know explicit photos of their ex boyfriend girlfriend or them where they've you know it's a it's a photo and they've taken whilst drunk in a stupid doing something stupid and, you know, perhaps insulting, perhaps, you know, a bit defamatory or something like that. But, yep. you know, should we judge someone based on one action they've taken? Let's, let's ignore that for the moment. But um, yeah, so that, how, how would, how would that work in a way where I guess, let's say someone has a, a photo um, taken of them and then it's put on the internet and in, and in IPFS, is there a way that they can, try and get that taken down or something like where they yeah, don't yeah, have the def- ownership of it as well? Definitely. So there's a whole uh, paper written on that. Uh, I forget the ins and outs of it, but they've got mechanisms to be able to actually delete that, uh, delete content that's inappropriate. Um, and that's been a big thing from the get-go. Even with the LBRY uh, group, like LBRY is a, a blockchain, very, very similar, um, but specific to video. Um, they had issues with that as well. So they basically have, have mechanisms for inappropriate um, content that can be deleted. Um, and that kind of goes to, I forget how it all works, but it kind of goes to a board and then they decide whether stuff gets deleted or not. But I think it's in terms of uh, the like the inverse of that and a person putting out stuff that they want to retract, they can definitely do that. But I don't think you're ever going to be able to stop someone taking screenshots and just keeping things. Yeah. Um, like Twitter, you know what I mean? Like you, you delete something on Twitter, someone's taking a screenshot of it, it's still there. Yeah. Um, so I don't think we'll ever get to that stage where you can just wipe stuff from someone else's computer that they've taken a, a screenshot of. But it's a step in the right direction, I think, anyway. Yeah, and it's yeah, there probably needs to be a balance of, you know, imagine if everything that you, you could delete, everything that you, you've done, well... You know, there are signs that people need to know. You know, the the guy who went to jail for, you know, ten years for 
you know, molesting kids or sexual misconduct or something, you know, it's, it's unfortunate that he, he did that, but it's also necessary information for other people interacting with him in the future being like, Oh, you know, this might be relevant if he wants to be a teacher or or something like that. So yeah. yeah, Yeah. Finding that mix between that persistence and, and, and uh, permanency, I guess, is is it's it's is a balance. Important. And like yeah. I like in the early days, sort of reading about it, I was just like, oh, this is awesome. Like, didn't think about the negatives at all of like a permanent internet. I was just like, yeah, so you just put everything up and then it's there forever. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, people do bad things as well. It's not all just schoolwork and you know nice stuff. There's nasty stuff out there as well. Yeah. I've, I've gotten written down here. Like I'm not really fond of maxis. So people who are like X will solve everything. Um, yeah. So, so uh, you know, what can't IPFS do? Like what sort of things does it struggle with where it's not a great use case? Um, I would say Filecoin hasn't really achieved what it was supposed to initially. So Filecoin's like the cryptocurrency attached to, uh, IPFS that I had high hopes for. Um, and there's been a number of them. So Storge, S-T-O-R-J is another one um, where it's basically, it's a cool concept, like incentivizing people to share their spare hard drive space to the network. Um, so like I was saying before, those nodes in the network, they- um, they, they require the moment, power. They require yeah, yeah. energy and at the efforts to maintain. Yeah. Totally. At the moment, it's just people either sort of altruistically running them or- who, you know, that is nerds and are excited about yeah, the tech. Yeah. Um, but, like, to incentivize that, I think, is really clever. Um, I don't think it's been implemented, like, as as well as it could have been. Um, and maybe it's still early days, but I think that's that's probably the, the biggest aspect uh, or the biggest detractor. It's the thing I was most excited about that hasn't quite landed, I think. Um, so, yeah, we'll see, see how it goes. Yeah, so uh, I had written down here, like, what, how important is um, Filecoin or that incentive structure to IPFS? Like, is there other ways that it can, 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 can IPFS work without having those sorts of incentives? Yeah, it in, can. Or? It can, and it has for, uh, well, since its inception, really. But I think for it to be like for us to be able to run everything on it like video um so at the moment like it's like you know wikipedia runs on ipfs and it's a lot of text-based stuff um i think for it to really take off and like have it on everybody's phone you probably need to have a system that's incentivizing people to to do that um, unfortunately, for, it'd be nicer if everyone was just like, "Yeah, I'll I'll help with that," but <laughs> I don't think yeah. for the moment that's not gonna not gonna happen. So hopefully, it, it it plays out. I think in the long run, it probably will. Maybe it'll be a competitor built built on top of IPFS. Who who knows? But um, I think it's it's something that sort of needs to happen eventually. And I think like going back, like the 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 storage uh, blockchain, which is like the sort of precursor to IPFS. Um, bit different it was like basically just incentivizing people to be able to to have a, a shared space on the internet um doesn't do all the cool stuff that ipfs does but even that had its issues with actually um being able to spin up tokens to incentivize people so it's obviously like what do they call it? it's proof of space time is obviously a lot harder um than just proof of work for whatever reason yeah 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 i mean like if you think about it torrenting back in the day i 
I'm not sure people were really making money from it. I think it was more based on reputation. So yeah. I remember there was this one dude and here's how strong reputation is. I think his username was Yiffy or something. And he put up like the best quality um, torrents for just like 4K, uh, wasn't even 4K back then. So this was probably like, oh, I'm going to say like eight, eight, eight plus years ago, you know, 10 plus years ago, right. probably. Um, yeah. And he just put up like the best consistent stream. Like you wanted a movie, you'd go to this guy and search through his movies because he, he had the best ones. Um, yeah. And I don't think there was a way that he could have made money from like, I'm, I'm really struggling yeah. to think of a way that he did. So just, just for props. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Pretty much like mad props to Yiffy. He's still uh, like, I still, he's, he's still occupying parts of my brain space. So he's, he's done something. Well. <laughs> Is he still going? I have no idea. I haven't, I actually haven't torrented anything for a long while. It's probably been. You kind of don't. Yeah. It's, you don't need to now really. Right? Yeah, like exactly. I, you know, that's the other thing. Like, I don't think anyone wanted to be a, I don't think well a couple of people want to be pirates, but I think the vast majority of people don't want to be pirates. But it was just getting that cost for you know the Netflix to yeah. appear. So it's like oh it, yeah, it's like a dollar for me to get a movie now instead of you know however much twenty bucks or whatever it was back in the day when when twenty 100%. bucks was even more expensive than it is now. Hundred percent, and I think it's it's really changed the landscape with that as well with, with cinema and everything. Like I think it's. For the better, I think, like in terms of, um, it, it kind of sucks we haven't been able to go to the cinemas like for the last two years, but I think there's a lot of cool stuff just being developed specifically for streaming services. Um, and that probably wouldn't have happened if it was, you know, just torrenting and um, the the legacy sort of Foxtel model or, you know, TV networks. I think it's it's really, uh, really changed. So it's cool. Yeah, definitely. Um, how... You you mentioned um, uh, I can't remember which one it was Namebase or you you've had um, uh, the guys from ENS on your podcast as well. So there's yep. it seems like naming is really important in the IPFS world. Why why is that? Why is developing names for stuff so so critical? So so they're both taking a different approach to DNS. Um, one's kind of working alongside the current dns structure which is um, 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 dns what, what does that stand for d- domain name service so yep. basically everything you go now so like um you go to the mere models memorials.com and mere models podcast.com no we're not, we're not that good <laughs> <laughs> um you're renting that from ICANN at the moment so you have to pay 10 bucks a year or you know 15 bucks a year whatever it is um but you never own it you're not allowed to own that. That's belonged to them and you're renting it off them for the rest of your life. It's a, it's a great scam. Like they've oh, yeah. been running it for a long time. <laughs> like it's, they make billions of dollars. Like it's, it's bananas. Um, but that's changing now with things like Namebase or the, the Handshake blockchain and then the uh, ENS stuff that, as well. Yeah, that's it. So basically what they're, they've done is is decentralize that core structure of naming and they actually have um, d- DNS servers that can replicate that name. So you can actually, instead of typing a .com, you can just type in mere models um, and then it, it pops up magically. Like it's amazing. It's really cool tech. But that mere models, you can actually link now. So it's a decentralized ID or a, a name 
that you own 100% and no one can take it off you, linked to RPFS or decentralized website so no one can ever delete it. So if you imagine your, so at the moment your website is sitting on a box somewhere, probably over in America, uh, like GitHub servers or, you know, Amazon servers, whatever it is. If they go down, that's it. If you have a decentralized network running that website, talking to a decentralized DNS server, like it's so cool because it can never be taken down and you own the rights to it for the rest of your life. And yeah. after you die. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so if someone wanted to create a IPFS uh, website, I guess, how, how would one go about doing that? Leak. Yeah, so I had those guys on. So cool. So actually I had the kids spinning up some websites on that. So it's fleek.co, I think it is, or it could be .io. Um, I'll look it up quick. Yeah, yeah. Basically, um, that talks to, so you have your, so you, you build a HTML5 website, you publish that to um, GitHub pages, like most websites are nowadays. On the back end, they talk to that for you, spin it up an IPFS instance. So you have, have your traditional website, backend talks to IPFS through Fleek, and it's distributed, and they made the process seamless. It's so cool. So you can do that pretty much in an afternoon. Like, it doesn't take much much to learn. Yeah. So if you need help with it for your website, give us a shout. I'll yeah, <laughs> yeah I might take you up on that, hey, because, um, <laughs> yeah, I've... Uh... I, I really have problems with, uh, and it was fleek.co, um, by the way. Um, yeah, cool. And yeah, like when I first heard of, so I come from a mining engineering. So I, I actually am, um, got a mining engineering degree. And uh, I don't know if cool. you know much about the De Beers company. So they, yeah. 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 So they basically control the diamond trade. And, you know, diamonds are essentially worthless, but because they yep. hold the storage of it, the supply, or, or I think it's like 90% of the supply of diamonds. They control the market, they control the prices. And so in terms of the, um, like the seven C's, I think is is what it is for, for gems. So it's like cut, clarity, um, the color, uh, something about abundance as well. Like diamonds aren't really that, like the value in them isn't that much, but they've just been inflated. And because there's a monopoly on it, and yeah, when it's I a nice, nice scam, <laughs> yeah, yeah, when I heard about the what you were saying with the who, who owns the, the the naming rights, I guess like you, um, I that, can, yeah, I yeah, can. yeah, yeah, yep. like when I heard yes. when I heard you saying that, I was just going bingo, damn it, <laughs> yeah, they got us again, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm not, ha- I'm not happy about this, <laughs> yeah, yeah. now my, my dad's a uh, jeweler actually. Oh, okay, he's retired yeah. now, but yeah. So I know about the whole history of that. Yeah, it's, yeah, uh, it's right. amazing, really. Like, wow. Yeah, yeah. It's like people, it's it's like cartoonish supervillain type stuff when you <laughs> when you hear about people and you're like, they actually pulled it off. Like the madman, they yeah. actually did it. That's did that's it. crazy. <laughs> it's a girl, girl's best friend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it. Um. All right. Cool. I, I think that'll that'll do us for the IPFS for the moment. Um, you you mind going into some just personal questions? I find you like fascinating. Yeah. What you're up to, man? Awesome. Sure, sure. So, um, why why education and technology, man? What's uh, what really you know gets gets you sparked, and why why the combination of those two? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I suppose I like my background's network engineering, so I went to university for that, studied that, Cisco, the whole thing. Um, 
and kind of just fell into education through that. So Swinburne had a program for placement for to put people into jobs and ended up being a uh, Catholic school that I started with. It was actually a Catholic school that I went to as a uh, in primary school sort of thing. Oh, that's so good. Was, yeah. yeah, so like running the network and then it was between them and five other schools, got interested in that and that's when we sort of kicked off the um, paperless school and then, yeah, just kind of went from there. So, yeah, it wasn't really planned out. I just um, thought it was exciting and there's it's a cool space, I, I, I suppose, like an environment to sort of play around with new technology um, without, you know, too much fear of things going awry it's like you know it's not a big data center so something falls over it doesn't matter um and you can kind of try new things so i think that's that's what excites me like trying new tech when it comes out and seeing if if people enjoy using it and so kind of makes sense to sort of marry those two worlds yeah for sure so so i read on your like little profiles that you've got you've uh, like your three tenants are innovation disruption and, and lifelong learning i might even add um you, you i've heard you talk about like having agnostic, you're, you're sort of agnostic to the platforms as well. Where where'd you come yeah. up with those? Like, and and how important um, are those to to um, yeah, applying for it? Sure. To, yeah. To 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 that, yeah. Um, I think lifelong learning. I think that should be instilled really in everyone at this stage. Like, that's probably one of the things you, that you yeah. can't. You don't you have a choice have nowadays. To, like, you, you don't can't, have a choice. No. You can't just learn mining engineering and, and you're done. Like, uh, even I'm sort of starting to see, like, uh, you, you probably needed to to have some other skills if you wanted to have work in 20 years' time because the job that I was working at, I, I don't see that existing in, in 20 years' time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, totally. so, so was that uh, a mining job specifically you were doing or? yeah yeah so I, I i worked out at a mine um doing basically a, a lot of it was logistics and planning and uh, creating designs so cool. uh, logistics and planning you know it's it's just you don't even need ai for that really you if you just get a, a good enough system it'll be like grab that dirt from there that thing's broken there like you just need someone punching in some numbers and you'd maybe like a couple of overseers, you wouldn't need whole crews of like, you know, whole offices of people deciding. Like I, I owned a couple of diggers in the sense of like, I get to choose where they go at what time following a, like a longer term plan and whatnot. But I, I just, I was just like looking and, and thinking, man, I, I, I don't see how this can't get automated. Like this, this isn't hard. Uh, this is, there's, doesn't require too much creativity or unique human attributes. Like this could definitely be done by a robot. So that's, that's sort of what, what I was thinking. Have you looked into crypto mining at all? Like, has that sparked an interest? Um, yeah. Like it, it's funny, like the, the term mining for me is, is really changing. So I, you know, obviously from going through uni and then probably like, the the three years I worked in the mines after that, and then a couple of years after that, mining definitely meant one thing. And now <laughs> it's like starting to change in my mind of like what what does mining like the term mining is is definitely changing, which is funny. Um, I've I've never look, personally looked at it myself. I, I I I suppose like my thing is I don't get too involved. Uh, like like uh, the IPFS, I I was I was super keen interested learning about it up into a stage and then with all this blockchain and, and stuff like i get to a stage where it's like 
I just don't want to learn anymore. Like going beyond this, I'm not sure is going to help me. Um, but yeah. then I'd really like to know the difference between Bitcoin and Ethereum. So I'll go look at Ethereum for a while and be like, oh, okay, cool, 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 cool. And then like Cardano, and then they'll, they'll start talking about concurrency and I'm like, I'm out. <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> it's gone too much. So yes. Yeah. Uh, so as in terms of mining, the only thing I would, I'd like Filecoin sounded cool, like mining via just running up an old laptop or something and, and yeah. letting that run. Yeah. Okay. That'd be kind of cool, but getting too much deeper into that. Uh, no, I'm, <laughs> I'm all there's, good. There's a cool project called Monero. Um, Monero, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that That's uses, the privacy um, C- one, right? CPUs, privacy, but they use um, what I like about it is they use CPUs, so they've kept the algorithm, so there's no ASICs, application-specific miners. Yeah. So you like you know, you see those big warehouses full of miners. Yeah. They've they've opted to make it like that's a waste of time even using a GPU. So they've kept it to CPU based. I think that's really clever. So it means like, like you said, anyone with a laptop or, you know, a semi-decent CPU can spin it up and, and get going sort of thing. So that's, um, and that, that's kind of like what the BTC um, protocol, like in the mining aspect was meant to be initially before the ASICs came out. So yeah, cool to see at sure. least one project still, still doing it and keeping it decentralized. Yeah. Um, there's a couple of Cardano guys here in um, Brisbane that I've been chatting with as well. Uh, one of them owns a stake pool. Um, and oh, cool. yeah, he, I think the biggest piece of tech you need for that is like a Raspberry Pi. Like it's not, it's not too yeah. extreme. Whereas yeah, 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 if yeah. you want to be a Bitcoin miner, like good luck nowadays. Yeah, there's no chance <laughs> yeah, it's of that. Crazy. It's crazy stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so uh, agnosticism. So I think that that sort of came from, um, I suppose like just being interested in different technology, but I think for thinking about it in like an education context, it's very important. I think like, so, so you, you, you walk into a school and a lot of schools you'll see like just one type of device across the whole school, much easier for the tech running the show um, and probably a bit easier for the teachers. So they don't have to think about like different types of technology, but not good for the kids. I don't think so. What you, what you need from a young age is to be exposed to all types of technology. So whether it's, you know, Windows, Mac, iOS, Android, Raspberry Pis, everything. So then when you do actually get into the workforce or into um, another institution that has like a different device, you have that, that knowledge already. So you're not afraid of new technologies. And I think primary schools there's so many not doing that they're just like here's an ipad and then that's it and i think they're kind of missing the boat there and and if, even with um with that like with the say raspberry Pis, for example we actually had kids like building their own labs from that and like 3d printing their own cases and that sort of thing and the empowerment then comes out of doing something like that from having the tech there for them to explore you can't take that away so i think that that's that's why and i think even at, at a um uh, for, for teachers as well, I think it's really important for them, even though they hate it a lot of the time, but <laughs> the amount of times I've heard, I don't want to have to learn something new within school walls, it wouldn't yeah. blow your mind. But <laughs> the irony, the irony. Yeah, the irony is crazy. <laughs> but I think for them it's important as well, even if they don't want to. So, yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of the background for that. Yeah. Do you, do you struggle um, personally trying to do that or is it uh, like for me, for example, I, I'd say I'm more on the side of, I, I really like routine and structure. Uh, that's that's sort of where I thrive in a way. And 
um, yeah, this past six months, like I've been pushing myself really to be like, all right, try and learn about um, Hive blockchain today. And then it's like, what's the difference between that and the, the old Steam blockchain? And, you know, just really forcing myself to be like, don't care about, you know, is this the best way of doing it? Just whip up a wallet and try something out. Um, yeah. How, how do you, do you, do you think about it in that way? Or it's like just naturally for you to be like, nah, all the things. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what's this? And I've got like a group chat of mates and we kind of just go back and forth, like with different stuff that's coming up all the time. So, yeah, no, it's not a chore at all. I think it's, yeah, for some people it is. In fact, we're like the, we're starting a new podcast, um, coming up. Oh, I think we're going to do the first one at the end of the month, hopefully, um, but there's five of us and like one of the guys was saying, oh, I haven't got the time to like read all these articles and, you know, uh, do <laughs> yeah. this. I'm like, ah, oh, okay. Like for me, it's not a chore. Like if it's a chore, then all right, don't stress. You don't have to do it sort of thing. Yeah. But yeah, I guess different mindsets. Yeah, for sure. What, what's that one called out of interest? Or, um... uh, Bitcoin, Bitcoin aggregated. Bitcoin, uh, so aggregated. Bitcoin aggregated.com. So the, the concept uh, yeah. is basically. Yeah, I went to that website. Yeah. Ah, cool. Yeah, I only launched it like the other day. Um, but basically, we want to do like an RSS feed that will keep updating with stuff that we think as a group is relevant. Um, so there's uh, there's six of us. So uh, basically, the the concept is the same as the Bitcoin blockchain, where you have six confirmations. We want to do that, but for stuff related to Bitcoin, and we all have to confirm that this is something worth talking about and sharing. And then that becomes a topic for the podcast sort of thing. Yeah, okay. Um, and the cool thing, we're doing like a roundtable. I don't think anyone's done this before, but it's basically uh, different perspectives on 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 those topics. So I'm taking the, the BTC maxi position, even though I'm not, but, you know. <laughs> um, and we've got an Ethereum miner. We've got a trader. We've got a fiat maxi. And um, oh, what are the other two? So we've got a, a, a government dude and... Uh, another crypto maxi as well. Anyway, yeah, yeah different some, perspectives. Some, some sort of like ape, like they <laughs> just <laughs> just like the the meme maxi. If the guy jumps on, yeah, on yeah, the yeah. Memes. Doge, yeah, Doge, yeah, Doge, <laughs> yeah. or Shiba uh, Inu. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, that's uh, who's going to actually be running, like holding the doing the files and RSS stuff, the hosting. Yeah, me. Maybe yeah, okay. so I'll be doing that. All right, um, yeah, hundred. Make sure you're getting on the um, like being podcasting 2.0 compliant and whatnot. Ah, um, uh, dude. So I've been battling with my CASA node, as you as I probably alluded to over <laughs> the emails, for like oh, the, since the podcast. Like it's just been trying to sync. It's finally synced yesterday or the day before, and now it's crashed. So I'm like, it's like my node is dead. So yeah. I'm ditching that i've actually started building a my node today so if you go to I think the website's mynode.com um you actually download the um the uh iso actually let's see if i can show you so i'm building it on i don't know if you can see that i've got an old school uh nintendo yeah yeah <laughs> i'm building it into that <laughs> oh that's super cool man <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've actually, that's actually just finishing like now it should be. So, um, yeah, I'll be putting everything through that. So it should be fun. Nice. Nice. Um, well, yeah. Um, just before I forget as well, make sure you send me the, your node details and I'll ask, um, Dave to, to create a split for us for this episode. So, yeah. Awesome. Um, yeah, just, just, uh, I'm trying to get more people into 
to the whole podcasting 2.0. I'm, I'm like so deep into it, man. I'm, uh, <laughs> That's it's, awesome. It's, it's my life. <laughs> Are you, have you ditched every other podcasting app except for Breeze? Like, <laughs> no, <I did> <laughs> I'm not, I'm not that far. Like my, my philosophy is sort of, uh, I want, I want anyone, anytime, anywhere to be able to access the mere models. So by necessity, yeah. I'm I'm gonna play ball with Spotify and YouTube and Apple and all the random like I I, I put it on like Indian random uh, aggregation services and and stuff like nice. that. So that's that's sort of my philosophy. But uh, Breeze and Fountain FM are, and Pod Friends. I, I I use like I was saying I, I use a lot of them now, um, and I use yeah. them for different purposes as well. But uh yeah i'm not i'm I'm sort of like podcasting 2.0 app podcatcher agnostic i'll I'll use whatever and if a new one comes along like i'll use it as well so yeah Um, so cool have you tried sphinx sphinx chat yeah i used a bit of sphinx uh it just i I didn't see how it was uh super different from uh, uh, i found it more clunky i guess is uh when i was when i was using it um, just some of the things like I was switching between nodes because I've got like five different podcasts, man. So like connecting nice. up different ones and and doing things on it was just, it was getting tedious. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Right. Right. I've only used it just to listen. I was listening to the Kaiser report through there. And what I loved was you could chat with people like while they were listening to it at the same time. And I hadn't seen that yeah. done properly before. I thought that was really clever. That That's cool when there's people there. So like, you know, yeah, our, our podcast isn't huge, so n- no one's going to be there. So it'd be like me talking to an empty room, sort of thing. Um, <laughs> and I'll, I'll, I can be there if you want. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then uh, the other the other problem with it was um, they're they're sort of going down a bit of a different route. They're not implementing all the new podcasting stuff. So yeah, like yeah. some of the chapters, I don't think update when you're getting to like the certain timestamp mark and things like that. So right, um, right, right. yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really just like, I chatted with um, Oscar Mary from fountain last night and yeah, like he's, he's trying to stay on top of everything as much as he can. So I, I prefer to just stick to, to those ones at the moment. Like there is a time when you have to tap out and be like, uh, I can't, I can't research another crypto coin until I, understand this one more and, and things like that fair enough fair enough um you you've traveled a lot man you you've uh, i saw on your website some links to i don't know what it was i've never really seen it before like a, your google account where you review things and so like it was it was funny like going through some of your reviews of like <laughs> Uh, like a random barbershop being like, these guys now accept Bitcoin. And this is back in like 2015. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, you, uh, I saw you were traveling a lot through Europe, um, uh, some of the Asian countries, Indonesia and whatnot as well. Like uh, you're a big traveler? Yeah, up until <laughs> bloody of COVID. Yeah. Of um, yeah, love it. Like Indonesia all the time, uh, at least sort of once a year, sometimes twice a year. Um, yeah. Yeah, kind of been all over the place, America. Um, with the, with the uh, photography, it's pretty cool, actually. Like, So I usually bring a 360-degree camera with me, and I got one now you can plug into the bottom of your phone. They're only like 100 bucks, and you literally can take 360 photos like wherever you go, upload them straight to Street View. 
and I've got like seven million views or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I saw that. I just went like, "What the? <laughs> what like, the how, how did this happen?" <laughs> I'm like, none of them are like particularly great. It's just yeah. me, like in front of the camera, or whatever. But um, it's funny, like because I've got so many hits and um, so many people looking at at the photos you get certified. So I've been certified by Google as a, as a Google photographer from just traveling around taking photos. <laughs> like I, I only did it just because I was like obsessed with 360 degree photos for a while. And like, we got one for school and um, started taking photos and, and whatever and the kids were using it. And I'm like, Oh, it's cool. So yeah, I just went around sort of doing that and kind of upgraded my cameras as I've gone along and yeah, it's fun. I've hopefully we're allowed to travel again so I can start taking some, some photos again. That's it, man. That's it. Uh, any favorite countries from, from all the places you've been? Japan, 100%. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, loved it. Loved it. And I think I saw about 20% of what we had planned to see. It's funny, actually, like we had planned to go back um, in, God, it was like the start of the, the whole pandemic thing. We we're about to pull the trigger and book uh, flights over. Uh, me and one of my friends and there was a group of others and we're like, oh, let's just wait a week and see if everyone else is still keen. And then lockdown, that was it. Yeah. So like, lucky we didn't do it. But yeah, I miss it. And it was it was cool. Like the, the week we went was, I think it was like a few weeks before they had actually um, enabled BTC as a currency for their country. So so when, yeah. when was this? What year? Oh, 2015 or 16, I think. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like, so it was like paid for a pod with BTC. I bought like, um, we went to like this multi-story complex of just like hardware and they accepted BTC. So I bought like, um, stuff for school. So I got like the controllers and stuff for the kids and, um, yeah, it was really cool. It was awesome. And like, I think we, like the night we got there, there was a Bitcoin meetup, um, in Tokyo. So like, oh, let's, I dragged my girlfriend there. We went and um, it was uh, the guy, what's his name? God, it's gone out of my head. The guy who like started Bcash, Bitcoin Cash. Um, uh, I can't think of his know. name now. Anyway, um, yeah, I met him and he was like explaining the whole thing. So this is like the before the fork um, and came back and it was yeah sort of on with that. So it was interesting to hear his perspective on that, like, from his mouth before I became like the villain of the whole world. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, well, Rog- for a lot of Roger people. Ver, Roger it? Ver. That's it. Yeah. yeah. Nice guy. As well. I thought he was really nice, like, <laughs> but it was, um, yeah, I was, I was just totally ignorant to the block wars or anything. Uh, I was just like, Oh yeah, that makes sense. Like, cool. I didn't, and it was no mention of Bitcoin cash. It was just like, <laughs> this is going to be the upgrade for Bitcoin. I'm like, Oh, okay. Awesome. Came back and it was just like this guy's the devil. Mayhem, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah that's, it's wild. That's funny, as um, yeah. I uh, one was actually meant to travel there on I think it was like March twenty seventh of twenty twenty. So yeah, I, I think it was like he was getting prepped, ready to go, and then uh, yeah, a couple of days after that was when the uh, all the borders shut and whatnot. So, um, so yeah, sad. we we went there at uh, mid twenty nineteen. Uh, we all met me, Juan, and a friend of mine. And yeah, Japan's awesome, man. It was it was so much fun. Loved it. Yeah. Back in um, the heartbeat for sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh do you read do you read much, man? Do you read many books or anything? Uh so I've just read the sovereign individual. Um I've noticed I tend to read more if I'm doing audiobooks, like, you know, walking and stuff. But yeah, that's the that's the one I'm sort of reading 
at the moment or yeah just just finished finished up yeah. great book if you haven't, haven't read it it's uh it's excellent is that really, like, like austrian I'd, economics sort of stuff or uh is- no so it's it's a book um so hard to describe um basically it it's really prophetic so it's like written in the 90s and it talks about everything we've kind of gone through for the last 20 years uh plus and they're like on point with everything including like cryptocurrency and software eating the world and it's just amazing you kind of like listen to it or read it you're like oh my god these guys are like geniuses like how did they know it's yeah like i've everyone i speak to i'm like read this book it's amazing like, <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah it's pretty dense like i, I was i got um i was talking to mum and dad it's trying to get them to read it and mum was like yeah it's interesting i don't know what the hell they're talking about but, <laughs> but it, it's cool but yeah 100 percent. check it out if you if you have time yeah who's the author of that do you know uh gosh two authors i've forgotten their names and um do you have any uh favorite books that uh, of, of um, all time or anything like that? Probably uh, Lord of the Rings, I reckon. It's probably one of my favourites for sure. Yep. Uh, James Dale Davidson. Cool. There's an, right. another author as well. Anyway, yeah, Sovereign Individual. Yeah, people will find it from Western that, don't they? Yeah. Um, and, yeah, just, just to finish off, man, what are you currently excited about? What's, uh, what's going on that's making you keen to get up in the morning and, and do? Um. Well, probably uh, mining, actually. So we're getting into mining with a couple of mates, which has been quite fun, um, just just as a fun sort of side project to do. Um, and the other thing is looking at writing a book as well, specifically on GitHub. So we've already got a bit of a scaffold for a book or a book that's been um, semi-published that the principal put together uh, called The Warada Way. Um but we want to take that and I want to sort of take it a step further and write about all the stuff that's kind of happened um, from the perspective of, you know, that, that learning space we created and now it's sort of destroyed, but like all the stuff that's happened from like moving forward and looking backwards from that and kind of like what we talked about in this podcast, but sort of stretched out to all the different um, aspects of that, but writing it specifically as a, like an open source material and collaborating on, on GitHub to write that only because that's how Andreas writes his books and I thought, and Antonopoulos and I thought, yeah, eh, that's cool. I could do that. But there's a, a step further I want to take, like you can actually now write on the lightning network. So like write articles, write books, whatever you want and get paid as people write them so akin to um, what's happening with uh, podcasting 2.0. So I want to try and do that with that. Um, and, yeah, so that's that's kind of where I'm at with that. It's still on Chapter 1, but <laughs> this will uh, make me uh, actually do it. So, yeah, 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 it should be fun. Awesome, man. That's super cool. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Uh, that I've, that's all I got, man. Is there anything you wanted to ask me, or anything you wanted to finish off with? Otherwise, we'll um, I'll just get get uh, people to direct you um, wherever you want to direct them to. Um, yeah, I was gonna say, did you end up going to El Salvador when you're over in? No, I um, I loved uh, <laughs> if if I'd it's hard to it's hard to say. Like I I think I first bought some Bitcoin in. I'm going to say like the start of 2019 and I was already past, I was like back down in South America 
Um, so if I'd known about Bitcoin Beach, maybe I would have gone. And I, but honestly, man, I probably would have gone there and been like, "What is this stupid like internet <laughs> crap? Like, I don't, I don't care." Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I think money. I, I think you, I think people just need their their introduction to like something they really care about and how that interacts with the blockchain. For me, it was podcasting. So. Yeah, once, yeah, once they, I heard yeah. about Adam Curry and what Dave Jones and, and him were up to. And like, once again, at the when I first heard it, I thought it sounded like a big scam. And then I got into it and was like, oh, shit, this is going to change everything. Penny, like, penny dropped, is, yeah. Yeah. This, so I, cool. And then, of course, I could see like, oh, this can fix this thing. This can do this, you know, um, this, yep. this is going to change the world. So, yeah, that's... Uh, yeah. If, no, if, so cool. if I'd known about it, but um, I, I do love South America and Central America, Latin culture. So if I'm ever in the area, 100%, I would, I would go back to there and, uh, well, go to there and, and check it out. Me too. Me too. I'm hanging to go over there and check it out. So yeah. I've, 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 you know, I've, I've got Breeze on my phone. And I'm like, when can I actually start using this in like <laughs> day-to-day life other than in my bedroom listening to podcasts? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Exactly. Although I did actually send you um uh, uh, a thousand Satoshis on your, I saw you had like a, oh. on your page. So I was like, oh, oh thanks, man. <laughs> see, see what oh, happens. Awesome. Although I've got- uh, if your notes on, down, would it have come through at all? So, uh, like yeah, it, no, it, that, that's separate. That's all cool. So, that's a, there was a Twitter service that they actually run. Uh, so, you like sign in with your Twitter account and, yeah, it sends it to my Twitter account. Um, oh, thanks, man. That's awesome. Yeah. No worries, dude. Um, there's, a, there's a video on my YouTube you'll probably appreciate from like 2013, 2014, um, buying a coffee in St. Kilda with a BTC transaction. Nice. Um, and it's probably like the first one. It's like thousands of dollars worth of BTC <laughs> now, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. I dread hey. to think how much I've lost over the years. But yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I was going to say like between you and the kids, you probably like gained and lost a lot of <laughs> probably lost lot of more than think gained <laughs> yeah. over the years but yeah whatever it's, it's, it's a fun it's a, you know it's it's like what what you get out of it and if it's if it weren't for people like you you know playing around with it it's not going to get adopted anyway so um, well yeah that's that's right and that was like kind of the i was having a conversation yesterday um with the gladstone guys just about that like the 21 bitcoin that we got to build that space yeah, if you kept it now, it'd be worth whatever. But I think the narrative of students being able to build their own learning space with BTC is way more valuable in the long run than just holding on to some tokens to see if yeah. you can do something in the future. So, yeah, or like the pizza guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, that's, that, that's sort of my thoughts. Like I'm, I'm acquiring cryptocurrency now and it's not so I can make a profit on them back into fiat. Like what's the point of buying this if I'm going <laughs> to reconvert it back yeah. into fiat, that makes no sense to me. I want to fly it, hold onto it, and then be able to use it in the future. Like, that's the whole point. So, um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, like all, all the price changes and whatnot. Like, it's, yeah, I, I love memes just as much as anyone and, you know, stonks and uh, hodling and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> like, hell yeah, it's fun and funny as hell. But now the, re- the real stuff, like the deeper meaning behind all of it is is way, way bigger than than some funny memes. 100%. Hundred percent. Well, yeah, El Salvador, for example. That's yeah. cool, man. Oh, that's that's such a cool story. How you got into it? That's amazing. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. Well um, done. Well done, Dave. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 Um, kudos to them. They've uh they've made me like sort of like semi rich and way more educated 
inadvertently through through the power of podcasting. Go podcasting. Um, <laughs> uh, so speaking of, where do, where do you want to direct people to if they're interested in learning more about Warana or or IPFS or probably Rocket just my Fuse? website. I just link everything there. So kdnolan.com and I've got everything that I'm doing on there. So cool. It's probably the spot to go. Awesome. Yep. They'll, they'll see that in the show notes and um, man, thanks so much for your time. And uh, it was, it was a pleasure to have you on.